Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Welcome to NXS episode 15, Access All Areas, our part two of the U2 special, uh, or U2 NXS special, uh, the podcast that I guess generally aims to deep dive into all things NXS, get them in the Hall of Fame and celebrate their greatness. Hey B, how are you? How's your week been? Sorry, how's your NXS week been? My NXS week has been better than my normal week. <laughs> mm. Mm, mm, very good. So much going on this week. I haven't stopped. Yeah. My creative juices are flowing. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you're speaking metaphorically there. I am. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. With all the, all the messages I've been sending you, <laughs> pretty <Correct>. practical. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, look, we did at the end of last week's episode talk a little bit about announcing something that uh, we hope is uh, uniquely and well received by, you know, people who listen to this podcast out out there. But uh, uh, I guess, you know, coming into our 15th episode, um, this has been a little bit of a journey of of passion and and I guess in some ways trial and error and seeing, you know, could we put something like this together? And um, I guess, you know, if, if anything is to judge by, we get confidence from... Uh, those who are listening in and participating and, and giving us you know some really nice comments and feedback and it really motivates us to want to sort of keep putting out content and putting out uh, material and, and information that celebrates the band and we would love to do this for many years to come. I, I guess uh, today, uh, which I guess I'm jumping ahead a bit, it's in excess's birthday today, so they turn 43. Uh, and uh, if they've got 43 years worth of content, I'm sure we could squeeze out, I don't know. <laughs> Four, five thousand episodes. B, what do you think? Absolutely. What are you going on about? Because we can. We got this. <laughs> We've got this. Yeah. Yeah. We're only fifteen in now. Yeah. So many people contacting us, um, giving us more info and like leads for topics and stuff. It's just great. And I guess as as the programs develop, you know, there's sort of ideas that are coming through. You know, we've we've started some Zoom calls. Um, some competitions are coming up. You know, we've had some different topics. Uh, we've done some tribute episodes. Um, you know, there's a plethora of Mm. of ideas and things we've we've got but look i think a lot of listeners out there would appreciate putting a, a podcast like this together you know from a, a resources point of view a technology point of view a time point of view uh does cut into our work life and does cut into our personal life so mm. um i guess like a lot of podcasts out there we are going to be launching a, a patreon type uh, program today uh where if you feel that uh, what we're putting out there is something that you value and uh you'd like to sort of i guess uh, contribute towards in you know a small or meaningful way um, it would be uh, a massive thing for us to give us I guess the resources to keep going and be mm. able to put out you know a, a, a superior product every episode going forward um, so I guess as I said we you know we, this podcast will always be free however we would like to put a few different sort of maybe caveats and and uh, access to content out there for the uber fan and the uber contributor and the uber participator and um, thankfully we have a lot of those out there but we would like to you know if you put a, a few bucks in per week or per month uh, that helps us keep this podcast alive and going for many years to come. Uh, we would like to also give you uh, special access to content, maybe special access to guests, 
topics that are run, Zoom calls, uh, and breaking a lot of that stuff down. So um, it will become a little bit more known over the next few weeks with posts that we put out. Um, but there is, I think, be already uh, a setup where fans who uh, are, uh, I guess, a uh, a loyal contributor uh, through their efforts to the show can maybe donate to our Patreon service and be, a, I guess, a VIP member of our podcast. I might handball to you to explain that. So I uh, got it all together yesterday and launched yesterday. And within yesterday, we've had five, well, no, six Patreons already, which is fantastic. And I just want to acknowledge those. The first one off the bat was Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. You were like <laughs> seconds, within seconds of me launching it. And I didn't mention it to anybody. So it just shows you how easy it is to find. So how you can find us is, is on the um the app, the um, Podbean app, there will now be a little button that says, would you like to become a Patreon? So you just click on that and it'll take you through and you can decide on which of the four levels of subscriptions you'd like to be part of. Um, did you want me to explain those, um, Hayden? Yep. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. So we've got the four um, types. We've got bronze, which will um, is a $5 fee and um, for a month. And with that you'll get a special mention on the show and a thank you there may be more things coming along with this but at the moment that's what what the the bronze is the silver with all of that plus you will now be able to be able to to um participate in any of our competitions and i tell you they are going to be awesome and we have got some awesome prizes so you definitely want to be in that one then we've got the gold subscription which also gives you the mention into the competitions and also you can participate and be invited to come along onto the zoom chats um, that that we'll be doing once a month then we have the ultimate the platinum so all of what i've just said Plus, you will also have um, access to have the podcast quicker as well. So you'll have early access. And like I said, this one is open. So we'll be adding a lot more onto that as we go along. So bronze, $5. Silver is $10. Gold is $25. No, $20. And platinum is $30. How's that? (laughs) <laughs> and that's that that's monthly, yeah? Month, yes, we're month. Yeah. Now if you live if you live in Melbourne like me, that's probably like a, a cup of coffee a week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um or in some cities it might be two coffees a week, depending on. Um but yeah, I mean look what the, the goal for this obviously is is just to put some some money into the podcast just allows us to get a better product out um you know producing the material through audio producing the material through equipment resources time you know overnight calls dealing with you know uh hours out of work etc they really would give us that extra resources to 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 keep this podcast going but also make it hopefully one day you know maybe the official in excess podcast that does get some support from the band and uh, from the management company and becomes you know quite closely associated with the band because mm. i don't think anyone out there is as doing uh, this as, as thoroughly thoroughly as we are mm. um, but we would love this to be something that's there you know for years to come 
um, because I said this band is a generational band and we want this band's music to be generational for yes. when we're all pushing up the daisies yes. and our grandkids are, are listening away keeping the band alive yes and we have so many yeah. ideas I and mean, even outside the podcast we want to try and get the um, the annual get together and a party as well so then the money yep. can go towards some of that also if we if we can get it together yep. that'd be awesome absolutely um, I've actually also very creatively and very excitingly um added a button to our Facebook page so if you go onto the actual um, front page of the Facebook page right at the very top it says go to app that will take you straight to the podcast now okay yeah now if, if, if someone's listening is via iTunes or some of the other platforms uh, does the Patreon thing come up on those yet or is that to be coming I believe it's right there yeah it'll go straight to it Okay. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. Now, um, I'd like to mention the other um, people, if I may. Um, so, where have I written their names? Oh, no. So, we had contrib- have we had contributors already? Yes, we've got five oh, contributors wow. already. Yeah, five. Wow. So, Carmen was first off the bat. She went straight to silver. Um, Way to go, Carmen. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Laurie. <sighs> now, Laurie um, actually emailed me, beca- uh, messaged me, because it just comes up with the email so when you do donate if you can let me know you've donated then I know your name um, unless you have your name in your email I don't know who you are so thank you Laurie for that information um, Foxy oh my good she's trying so hard to uh, become a member but she's going straight for it she's going platinum go Foxy <laughs> go Foxy Yay. then we have Carrie Carrie Ann's also subscribed maybe, even maybe, we, maybe we don't call it the platinum pack we call it the foxy pack oh there you go i think we should i'm going to rename <laughs> and maybe it maybe we call it the calm <laughs> maybe we have to rename them after the very first donators okay <laughs> and then we've got um carrie ann who is actually one of our um team members she actually uh she joined as well bless her so thank you carrie ann you didn't need to do that so i might just upgrade you a little bit there um, and yeah. then we've got, um, oh my goodness, I wrote them down and now I can't remember. Let me go to them. Let me see. Ah, oh, there we go. Someone called Doodle. You see, I don't know who you are. So if you can let me know, Doodle, who you are, that would be lovely. And then we also have Sarah. So everyone is gold at the moment. So that's fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Except Foxy, who's uh, platinum, I guess, which is exciting. But look, I guess whatever pe- people can contribute whether you upgrade along the way or whatever you know from the bottom of our hearts it's something we really appreciate because um you know even just getting the musical rights to put some of the material and the songs on for these episodes uh costs money and then you know production and time and and resources and you know having the right uh ipad microphones and things like that it just helps us uh put a superior product together so from the bottom of our hearts those so far and those who intend to uh we we really uh thank you uh, very much um okay uh obviously last week we, we did our u2 part one episode um it was interesting to see be the crossover of, of listeners who, who who chimed in we had some new listeners chiming in last week who probably saw u2 in their search engine and podcast uh amidst the in excess fans and seems like you know there was quite a lot of you know fellowship and and, and mutual sort of uh, joy in both bands 
Yes, we had a lot of people enjoyed that uh, podcast. So I'm like, I'm looking forward to part two and like finding out a lot more about it. But like a lot of people say, they love both the bands. It's not a verse; it's more a just a journey of them together and how they grew up yeah. together. Mm, a musical yeah. journey. And I think I think <clears throat> I think a lot of people were surprised at the parallel of just mm. how their careers have you know interchanged and you know the timing of their careers. Uh, and the successes they've had along the way. Um, I think also uh, going out with uh, the song Slide Away last week, which um, for those who don't know, that was the the song that Michael wrote um, and then Bono sort of finished uh, Mm -hmm. a a few of the verses, sort of lyrics there. Uh, that uh, that was uh, the last song on the album. Uh, B, I know you're a fan of that song. Yes, yeah, and I've had a lot of, um, especially women, um, contact me saying how emotional it was at the end. It was a very emotional ending to our uh, podcast, but um, it felt right to do that. It really did. You know, it was interesting when I've heard it again because it's been a, a little bit of time since I've played it because it's one of those songs that... Um, it's sad, you know, mm, uh, the lyric, very. it's a sad lyric and mm. it's it's uh, recorded in a key or, you know, a, a, a tone that is melancholy. Um, mm. But the start of the song, it, it feels like it, it's like a dentist drill. Did you notice that when you hear it? Like, it's just that sort of dentist drill. I was going, Jesus, you know, I forgot about that noise. But <laughs> it was quite grating at the start, wasn't it? Mm, I suppose so. But, um, yeah, apart from that bit, it is a beautiful yeah. song. It's a beautiful yeah. song. And it's echoing in my head quite a lot this week, I must admit. And, and I think Bono's lyrics, he contributes a little bit of uh, the, the vocal part that he sings. A lot of that's his lyrics. And I think it's, it does showcase what a brilliant lyricist he is and yeah. really accompanies Michael's you know, melody and lyrics as well. So, and their voices are complimented yeah. to so much, don't they? Mm. Yeah, and, and, and the, produ- <laughs> the production... I think with uh, Danny Saber and then Andy Gill, mm. who was involved in the album, um, you know, is, is fantastic. Especially mm. when you consider that you are putting something together posthumously, and um, they both would know sort of the fussiness of which sort of Michael had on this album because, you know, he never released it during his his time on the planet. Um, a lot of stuff was recorded in '95, and it didn't get released till sort of '99, and in between that, they went off and did elegantly wasted. So. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, these solo projects can be quite a personal thing for the artist, and you've always got to be respectful, especially you know posthumously after someone passes, um, mm. what you put out and what you don't put out, etc. There. And now it's time for the excess news with Hayden from around the world. All right, news of the week, straight to the charts. Now, I don't know which one to go with first today because we have some very exciting news in America and Australia. I know, Um, I'm very excited. Where should we go first, B? (laughs) Should we go America or Australia? Just go America. Okay, we'll go to America first, but uh, need you tonight. Part two, the the sample, the rip off, the lift off, etc. There has gone from 19 to 14. (laughs) Woohoo! That's good. So. A song that looked like two weeks ago dropped from 17 to 24 now has rebounded after uh, two weeks up to number 14. That's great. It's heading north. Mm. And the charts over there are a little bit crazy. Um, it's a lot about airplay and stuff like that. And I think this particular artist, she's getting quite a, you know, a lot of airplay at the moment with all her other albums and songs and things. 
So who knows? Uh, and I think also, uh, B, you may have seen during the week, you may have posted it, um, Gary came out and uh, acknowledged that, uh, you know, the song uh, of Dua Lipa has gone into the top 15 and being a, an LA resident, um, he actually went into his studio and showed us the bass lines, yes. didn't he? Just how that song came together with Andrew and things and yeah. his bass component. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, in Australia, um, I guess at the time of this recording, uh, we've actually had two charts come out. So they come out every Saturday in Australia. So between our last podcast that went to air, uh, the album went from 41 to 39 and has gone from now 39 to number 30. <gasps> and it's gone over 300 and now 301 weeks. So oh. everybody we... Everybody we lobbied out there to buy it in Australia or overseas or whatever. <laughs> it we, worked. I don't know. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll give ourselves a... We'll give all of you a pat on the yes, back. Yes, thank you, you, everybody. Well done, well done. Buy some more. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't remember it was. Yeah. I think it was Fox who says, I've bought some and I've bought some more just in case I scratch them. Then I've bought some more for somebody <laughs> else and then I've bought some more of those just in case they scratch them. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, technically 312 weeks equals uh, six years, but uh, 301, uh, just just under six years in any chart is a staggering result. Yeah. Uh, considering when this album came out, this is, this is true, uh, it went about top sort of 25, 30 on release and then disappeared from the charts for about a year or two. And look, no doubt in, in Australia when the miniseries came out and, and, and radio got behind that and there was interviews and promotional stuff, you know, the typical followers all went out and go, oh, actually, the XSR are a good band. Oh, yeah, they were good. Oh, I'll go out and buy that. And, yeah. you know, it was the it was actually the highest selling Australian album in the decade mm-hmm. in 2010 to 2020. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the third highest selling album period for the decade yeah. uh, in this country, which, you know, 30. I guess. I'm yeah. so stoked about that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, continuing the fluffy feel-good news, uh, this week, as I alluded to earlier, NXS turned 43, yeah. uh, which is literally today, yes. August 16th. Yes. Uh, and we are recording on the day of releasing this podcast, <laughs> yes. so we're definitely putting ourselves <laughs> under the pump. Yes. Um, okay, it was all was all B's fault. No, it was actually all my fault. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, but well, it's, uh, there's something destiny about recording on the day yeah. of of their birthday and it's also Tim's birthday yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Now I've got a feeling Tim might be one of your favourites in the band. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, of course he is. <laughs> okay. And and Sharma Sharma in New Zealand, one of her favourites? Yeah, Sharma and Carmen. The Timmy girls. Yeah. We all are. Yes. And Michelle. Nick. How old is he today, B? He's just had a conniption. He's, he's 63 I don't years know. Young. I don't think he really cares actually to tell you the truth. He's just here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Right. Happy. Well, can we go? Can we can can I throw to you and say uh, when NXS sort of formed, it was sort of on the day of, it was Tim's twenty first, and it was the day that Elvis died. Mm. Also, and I, as a little kid, remember that. I remember crying because Elvis died, and my parents thought it was really cute, and it was probably my first memory of what death meant. It meant that you could never see someone again. Mm. So I do remember the day that Elvis passed, which is obviously the day the NXS sort of formed and created. Do you have an anecdote about that for Tim and the band back at that party, uh, B? I wish I, I wish I could tell you more about that party. I'm sure there was a little bit of dusting off the next day. But um, all I can say about that is um, we, I, I tried to search for a set list. Obviously, there wasn't because it was only a private party. But uh, what I did find out as a fact was that their next concert wasn't until July the 22nd on, in 1978. So they actually 
you know, they actually rehearsed quite a lot in between that and then. And they actually mm. opened up for Skyhawks. Did you know that? At Bondi Lifesavers. Oh, wow. And just another fact, I don't know if you want to know this, but my, my first daughter, um, she decided to arrive um, at, at, at Bondi Lifesavers. I was there one day <laughs> and um, she, yeah, she went, Mom, you've got to get a hospital. So that's what happened at Bondi Lifesavers for me also. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, hey, uh, your, your, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that uh, maybe your daughter was conceived at Bondi Lifesavers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep, that's a bit naughty. We'll keep that I one to myself, that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, those Skyhooks boys, uh, they were definitely rocking in the 70s, uh, loutish band in Australia. Mm. Um, okay, a uh, cu- couple of little things. Uh, there is an NSS cover band called What You Need, who are based out of Perth, B. Do you know much about no, them? No, tell me more. I don't know a lot, <laughs> but there is an NSS cover band based in Perth. How long have they been going? NXS essentially... <laughs> Oh, look, I've heard it. I'm sure they've toured over in the eastern states and things like that, mm. and they've been around uh, a little bit. But Perth is a pretty COVID-friendly t- town at the moment, so they probably are getting gigs. And unfortunately, on the east coast over here, don't change or rescheduling a lot of their gigs um, just based on the virus. So uh, any uh, time any of those bands can be out playing, we wish them the best. Um, uh, also, too, this week we, we did get a, a post from a regular listener and someone who I was very, very chuffed to hear from, and he reached out to me a couple of times this week uh, and there's a guy by the name of Nick Egan who was really responsible for a lot of the artwork and the photography and things on the Kick album. He has offered to come onto our episode to talk about that artwork etc there and what you know the photography and I know Nick had a, a long association with the band and, and um, uh, I, th- I think if you, if you look back to that that In Excess Kick album what what I look back on, if I could look from a business level, you know, put my business marketing hat on, because that's what I, I do in my sort of work life. It was such a great uh, advertisement sort of marketing launch type thing with the band, you know, with the, the red and the black and the white and the colours and almost the 3D-like sort of footage. And I think it really lent itself with Richard's film clip as well with Nija Tonight. It was such a, a constant message. And those colours and that image almost sort of set the template, you know, for that iconic in excess with the red, red X in it. Mm. Mm. Uh, don't you agree, Dee? It's, it's it's like an Apple advert, isn't it? <laughs> when now you look at it, yeah, it, with the white background and like you know just like little iconic pieces, yeah. it's just like there, there's it's yeah. it's very very stylized. It's fantastic. And when you think back at the launch of the album and then the film clip at the start, I mean, you know, the first sort of five or six, seven seconds of the Nature Tonight film clip almost pays homage to the artwork and the album. And uh, if back in the days where you bought an album and you had to fold it out open and um, <laughs> you probably had Michael and, and John sort of, you know, on the front cover more so and you had to open up about six ways to, <laughs> to see Kirk on the inside, Aww. you know, and Gary and things. But, uh, but it was, you know, in those days, you know, such a, a, a piece of artistic brilliance. And I know uh, Nick very kindly posted on our, our page some of the behind-the-scenes footage in Wembley um, but yeah. that I think uh, you he saw. Did, yes. Um, that was quite exciting, you know, a few years later seeing some of that, you know, private shots and mm. montages there. Mm, mm. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really good. There's, there's been, there's also, um, did you see Keith Lennon, Lemon, you know him? 
the comedian out of England. Uh, huge in excess fan. I've heard of him, yeah. Huge in excess fan. Right. He's actually yeah. got, he actually bought Michael's plastic black coat from Wembley. He actually owns that coat. Ah. Um, okay. And every now and again, he does silly things. And he's, he's a, his humour <laughs> is very out there. And um, this week I've just posted on Hutch Nation him doing a Michael Craft he actually made an 18 inch Michael out of um, some sort of um, ah, did you see that, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like an action feel wasn't like it an action feel. the hair I don't know what's going on with the hair but yeah it's pretty good though I mean I don't know if he really did it but it's, it was fun it was a fun, fun little thing to watch um, yeah. I'd like to just go back to Tim if I may Sure. I actually started um, the celebrations for Tim on Friday and I put a lovely um, post out of um, him wearing his um, blue and white and uh, red outfit. Do you remember that one? Um, the stripy one? And yeah. um, it went out. And I'd just like yeah. to say thank you to everybody for sharing that because he got shared so much around the community. Um, so much so, I'd just like to give you the figures on how many it reached. It actually re- reached 4,000 fans. How amazing is that? And I know for a fact he will be reading all of the messages that you've left behind. Uh, below on the um, on our Facebook page anyway so if you click on that link and it takes you um, to um, access all areas you'll be able to leave a message and he will pick that up so thank you so much everybody that's left a message so far absolutely no I, I went out you know massively and uh, it was probably the if you think of it you know there's probably two quintessential images of Tim I think about and that is the sort of the almost the USA colors and the the outfit and the skate board and the kick tour mm-hmm. and then obviously the, the Jesus. Jesus t-shirt mm-hmm. uh, that he wears uh, in Wembley uh, amidst the, the jackets and things so uh, yeah thanks for that B I think that was well received and happy birthday Tim happy birthday Tim hey this is Tim Farris and you're listening to access all areas with Hayden and B hey and now for topic of the week In excess VU2, uh, part two. It's a bit of a, a, a combination of letters and numbers. Anyway, last week we did get into, I, I guess, parallel, paralleling the careers uh, of In excess and U2. And uh, for fans of both out there or, or greater fans of one versus the other, you know, I think chatting to you earlier, B, they had some very sort of similar moments and, and similar ascents and, uh, and time frames in, in their careers with, you know, a crossover of influences and a crossover of personnel that, you know, worked on, you know, their videos and worked on uh, certain production roles, etc. cetera, there, uh, in their careers. And, and I think we, you know, not us agreeing, but I think the facts suggest that there was some mutual respect and some inspiration behind both to success. Um, what was your takeaway from sort of the episode for you last week, Bees? What did you sort of learn or get out of it? Yeah, I learned a lot, actually. I learned that um, there was um, a lot of similarities, the fact that they were um, 
both schoolboy bands at school and they uh i wouldn't say they both roughed it but uh, they sort of did didn't they they they, they did it hard they weren't like you yeah. know manufactured they were actually you no. know the real deal both bands yeah really good point because um around that sort of 182 83 period there was this sense hey, we can make money from music, you know. There was this push with MTV and this push from uh, record deals. There were a lot of... There were, there were a lot of untalented people getting record deals d- during that era. Um, and there were some very worthy people. Technology was improving, and as the world was opening up, and, uh, and especially through video, you know, it was both a creative time, but also it was a crazy time where some people had their 15 minutes of fame. And I, I think for In Excess and both you two, and, and to a further extent, you know, REM and, uh, you know, the... Uh, bands of that ilk um they they were a slow graft in terms of conquering the world you know mm-hmm. it took to them to both their fifth or sixth albums to really get that international mm-hmm. traction and hit that you know uber status hit that everest so to speak in in their ascent um where nowadays you know if you're not charting on your first album or going double platinum on your second do, do record companies invest in your talent as much as they did back then do they give you time to make mistakes mm-hmm. um uh, you know, in excess, you know, had to tour and tour and tour relentless, relentlessly mm-hmm. on multiple continents to, to make their way. There was yeah. no, there was no quick and easy way of to do it. You know, day by day, concert by concert, rehearsals, rehearsal, rehearsal session by rehearsal uh, session. I think both bands, you know, could be very proud of the manner and the way they they reached their their pinnacles. Yeah, a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. And away yeah. from home, the families, they gave up quite a lot really for us all, didn't they? Yeah, so we absolutely. Should, we absolutely. should as fans really applaud them, really do. Yeah. Um, what I'm going to get into today a little bit is just a, a little bit of uh, you know, comparison just on their successes. And I'm going to use probably the, the American charts uh, just to compare um, you know, their successes individually as bands over there. Because, look, if, you're on, if I look from an Australian point of view, you know, in excess of release, you know, over 50 singles in Australia and had over nearly 45, 46 top 40 hits here. Um, as I've said, you know, to you previously and to the listeners, um, everything up until the swing and Listen Like Thieves was massive in Australia. Um, you know, the swing is probably like the kick of Australia in terms mm-hmm. of its legacy, um, whereas Kick's probably the international album that a lot of, uh, you know, fans, you know, gravitate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, similarly, U2, you know, in the UK, which was their home market, um, you know, probably had a, a bigger scale in terms of their sort of success and things yeah. as well and um, I know from a, a point of view there they've had I think 34 top 10 hits and yeah. 7 number 1's in the UK alone mm-hmm. uh, but if I used America probably a little bit more so as the neutral ground you know the mm-hmm. sort of the Everest of the industry like if you can make it in America uh, you know it really sends a message out to all the ancillary countries after that mm-hmm. Um because as you know, in the UK, a lot of big UK bands that, that were big there but didn't really, no. you know, make it in America. I mean, yeah. Oasis had a, a, a flutter with America, mm. but they didn't have a long-standing effect no. other than, you know, uh, you know, one album there, mm. uh, you know, in reality speak. Mm. Uh, in terms of In Excess, well, they're 
core audience was Australia and New Zealand. Uh, U2 was obviously Ireland, you know, Scotland, Great Britain, etc. Um, and when we go compare their ascent into America, um, I'll start off with, with in excess and what they achieved uh, from, first of all, their singles. Uh, they, between 1982 and 1993, had 17 top 40 hits. So if you look at the time frame, it's probably an 11-year stretch Mm -hmm. where 17 songs made the top 40. Mm -hmm. Uh, They then had a gap of 14 years, sorry, no, a gap of uh, 12 years where uh, suddenly Pretty Vegas uh, on the comeback uh, album with J.D. Fortune became a top 40 hit. And uh, as I've said previously, it really was a top five hit because it went gold through downloads, Mm -hmm. but they weren't measured in those days as part of the the charts. Uh, Or if they were, they were a minor uh, component. So from a, a, a sales point of view or a, a recognition point of view, um, uh, and I'm going to be a bit out of order here, but, you know, Need You Tonight, as we know, went number one. Never Tear Us Apart went number seven uh, in America. This is, and we're talking the Billboard, mm. you know, Hot 100 here. Yeah. Uh, not the sort of rock charts and things. These are the official Billboard charts, uh, Hot 100. So we need you tonight at one, Never Tear Us Apart at seven, What You Need at five, Disappear at eight, uh, Devil Inside at two, New Sensation at three, Not Enough Time at 28, The One Thing at 30, uh, Suicide Blonde at nine, uh, Good Times from the soundtrack, The Lost Boys. Do you know that movie, B? Yeah, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Yes. 47. Uh, Beautiful Girl, 46. Bit of Tears, 46. Listen Like Thieves, no. a single, 54. No. Reginald Sin, 58. What a sin. Pardon the pun. 58. That's 58. terrible. Uh, send a Message, 77. Uh, this time, uh, was not. it was uh, 81. That actually was the first single released in America and the UK behind not behind what you need, whereas in Australia it was what you need. Uh, Pretty Vegas thirty seven don't change number eighty. So they had eighteen hits uh, in the top one hundred, uh, of which seventeen came in eleven year stretch, and then they had that hiatus, uh, and then suddenly had one with uh, Pretty Vegas. So uh, a pretty concentrated result and, uh, uh, you know, success there for in excess. Uh, in terms of U2, mm. uh, they've had uh, 32 top 100 hits. Uh, however, that's between 1983, with New Year's Day being the first, yeah. uh, all the way through to uh, Ordinary Love, which was, uh, I think, hit number 84 in 2013. Okay. Now, just for the, the U2 fans out there and even the NXS fans, the chron- chronology of their hits that they had, they had New Year's Day at 53, mm-hmm. was their first song to hit the charts, uh, the top 100. I Will Follow, 81. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pride in the Name of Love, 33. That was the sort of the thing that got them in the top 40. Yeah. Then we had the Joshua Tree, where they had With or Without You at number one. Mm-hmm. Still haven't found what I'm looking for at number one. Yep. Streets Have No Name at 13. Uh, In God's Country, 44. Then they came back with the Rattle and Hum album with uh, Desire that hit number three, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Richard Lowenstein. <laughs> uh, they had Angel of Harlem at 14, directed by Richard Lowenstein. Uh, and they had 68 for When Love Comes to Town with B.B. King, the duet, uh, I think directed by Richard Lowenstein. Uh, All I Want Is You, uh, which was uh, 83, which is a great song. Uh, and we played a bit of a snippet of that last week Hello. with the uh, Never Tear Us Apart refrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, going along, they had uh, The Fly off uh, uh, Acton Baby, 61, Mysterious Ways, 9. Uh, one, the song One was number 10 in the US. Ever, even better than The Real Thing, 32. Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses, 35. Uh, 
Not much of Zeropa, although they had Stay Stay Far Away So Close, 61. Then they had the Batman song off the soundtrack, mm-hmm. Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, number 16. Mm-hmm. Then they sort of did that sort of turn to go into the sort of, you know, the Pop Mart uh, tour and things. Discotheque hit number 10. Staring at the Sun, 26. Last Night on Earth, 57. Uh, Sweetest Thing, off the Greatest Hits first edition, uh, hit 63 in America. Uh, continuing into the uh, All You Can't Leave Behind album, they had Beautiful Day. It was probably their biggest hit for a long time, which was 21. Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of, the Michael Tribute song, mm-hmm. 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, Electrical Storm, off the next Greatest Hits album, 77. Then they came back with their f- next bigger hit, uh, which was Vertigo at 31. Uh, Sometimes You Can't uh, Make It On Your Own, 97. Uh, they, they re-released one with Mary J. Blige, the hit 86. They did the Green Day uh, tribute song with them, The Saints Are Coming, hit 51. Their worst, worst song of all time, Get Off Your Boots, was 37. Uh, which is a bit of an Elvis Costello ripoff, uh, like Pump It Up. Uh, Magnificent was 79. Uh, and their last sort of top 100 hit in America was Ordinary Love, which was 84. Now, they only had six top 10 hits, but they had two number ones. Yeah. Uh, now, their stretch of songs there was over a third... Yeah, in America, yeah. Their, their stretch of songs released in America were over a 30-year period with, I guess, most of the major success coming in their first uh, probably... 20 years the last 10 years they you know really haven't had much more much sort of traction on the hit side of things um so i thought it was just interesting comparing just um you know the the the, the volume of hits and then sort of the period of which they came in um i think in excess probably when you break it down pound for pound probably had uh, a greater level of top 10 hits you know they had seven top 10 hits in america they had a number one uh, they had probably you know number two number three you know, five seven etc there mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, the songs I've mentioned. Um, U2 probably was more of an albums band in terms of their success in America. Um, And that's probably illustrated in the sales as well. So if I take a moment just to to relate back to the album sales, um, these are pretty ingrained in my head. I can probably reel these off uh, pretty simply. I know uh, going back to uh, Shabu Shabat, In Excess's sort of first major hit album there went gold. Uh, The Swing went platinum. Uh, and gold, for those who don't know in America, is 500,000 units. Mm-hmm. Platinum's a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Listen Like Thieves has done over 2 million units in America at last count. Uh, then they went into Kick. Now, there's some funny figures on this. Some people say Kick sold over 10 million in America. Well, that would mean diamond. I don't think they've actually officially received a diamond certification yet. Uh, often old stats say they sold 6 million there. I think it's closer to 9 million. Yeah. But once you hit 10 in America or 10 million of an album, you get a diamond mm-hmm. accreditation. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that can take 20 years to hit for a band. Mm-hmm. Um, so fingers crossed on that. Yeah. Uh, X sold 2 million uh, copies uh, in America. Uh, Welcome sold just under two million, uh, unfortunately. Full Moon Dirty Hearts only sold one hundred and fifty-three thousand. Uh, I know uh, the Allegedly Wasted album sold a couple hundred thousand albums, uh, and the Switch album sold just under four hundred thousand there. So, from an album sales point of view, you know, you two probably from a, a longer period of point of view, and I've talked to you a lot, B, and the, and the listeners about the second album, Lift. Mm. Uh, they've definitely, you know, when they, they came that. back with mm. with Uptong Baby, mm. that really gave them that sort of second sort of resurgence in their in their mm. career. Yeah. 
um, you know, you know, in a, in a massive way, um, you know, and, uh, you know, going through sort of the U2 sort of album sales, etc. there, look, I've, I've cheated a little bit here and I've got a little handout next to me. So if you hear a bit of paper, listeners, there are so many sales, it's, it's a bit too hard to you sort of uh, come to my today, mind. aren't you, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think going back into uh, uh, the US, etc. there, you know, the Boy album, uh, went uh, gold and then platinum eventually. Uh, they've had uh, where are we over here? Platinum, sorry, plat- uh, platinum sales in America for Boy eventually. You know, October's gone platinum. Uh, War album over there in America has already gone four times platinum, which is four mm-hmm. million. Uh, the Joshua Tree, well, what a juggernaut. Uh, that's mm. gone diamond. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, well, so, um, you know, I think it's done 25 million worldwide. Mm. Uh, Rattle and Hum, which is technically not an album per se because it's got live tracks, it's got some cover songs, it's got some studio outtakes, plus some fresh stuff, but um, it's still looked upon as an album. That did uh, seven times, uh, sorry, five times platinum uh, in America. Acton Baby, okay, uh, has gone eight times platinum in America which is 8 million. Uh, looking at Zoo Roper, which is probably one of the more alternative sort of albums, went mm-hmm. two times platinum mm-hmm. uh, in America. Uh, Pop uh, went platinum in America. It was probably the one that sort of stiffed them a little bit over there. Uh, what else have we got over here? Oh, We Can't Leave Behind. Uh, uh, it's gone four times platinum in America. That was a real comeback album. Uh how to dismantle atomic bomb uh, three times platinum no line on the horizon uh we've got platinum songs of innocence uh, now songs of innocence was given away for free so that was always going to affect album sales per se but the uh the apple launch with that where everybody automatically got into their phone wasn't counted sales per se but there were hard-earned fans in the US I think they sold a hundred thousand of those outside the freebies uh, and then when they released the companion piece album uh, songs of experience uh, they did about 180,000 album sales there uh, and I think it was just part of that era then where you know nowadays you know, albums just aren't bought as readily I mean everyone's downloading individual tracks people don't mm-hmm. invest in albums like they used to but um, from an album's comparison point of view I mean you two you know uh, have blown everybody out of the water virtually you know with their sales um i think if there's something that can be said is that you know scaling a band that comes from the the far you know um you know uh reached you know shores of australia to the uk and america um scaling up is always going to be a little bit harder um you know your record company support in the uk always translate translates into america a bit easier you know, in a sense of probably have to fight every recording, every album. Like we think of the the Kick album, even at the the top of the their, their form going into releasing that, the record label Atlantic rejected it, even though they were coming off Listen Like Thieves, etc. There, they never had an easy run at the back end in terms of marketing and support, etc. There, and I, I think ultimately that does affect sales. Um, but uh, you know, you two. You know, to their credit, have been a juggernaut and uh, have have you know blown many many of their, <laughs> I guess, contemporaries out of the water with their volume of sales. Um, but it's interesting that sort of that sweet period of sort of eighty two to ninety three, where both bands were really on a high trajectory. They were really sort of on par with you know the hits and the albums and and the acknowledgements at that particular time. Can I ask a question? Um, yeah. So I don't really know much of the background of U2. Um, in Excess had Chris Murphy. Who did in, uh, U2 have? 
They had a guy called Paul McGuinness, uh, who was there from the start. Okay. Um, and he's, now, was he as a tough as um, Chris? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was from, he was from the, the tough reaches of, uh, of Ireland, and he was mm. one of the originals and uh, got the band sort of aligned with Ireland Records uh, in the early days. And um, I think he's taken a slightly backward step now with the band based on probably, you know, his own age and mm-hmm. et cetera there. But, yeah, he was very instrumental. And, and, and I think, you know, like that seventh member we talk about with yeah. Chris Murphy and, and that fifth member like George Martin with the Beatles, you, you need mm. a... a, a, a uh, an impresario type figure at the in the back backdrop yeah, pumping your tires that's right you need you need somebody who's not going to yeah. be as nice as you <laughs> well, <laughs> to do the you know, dirty the band, work to do the laundry <laughs> well I'm, I'm sure paul would, would have done this with you too you know chris you know his famous mantra he's, he's been quoted many times within excess was saying well you know if, if you're not writing you know you're recording if you're not recording you're rehearsing if you're not rehearsing mm. you know you're playing live you know every day you're doing something that uh, allows you to take the next step. And, um, you know, I think their commitment, um, uh, both in excess and you too, to their craft and to their, you know, take it to a bigger audience, you know, how big this, can this thing get is, uh, was a journey that they both sort of undertook. Mm. Um and as I said, it's not a competition between both. I mean, no. what you two had to endure in, in, in Ireland and the upbringing and all the issues there to, to get themselves out of that environment onto a world stage deserves absolutely the highest of, of, of recognition. Um, for, for in excess to essentially be, the, the, you know, the, the kings and the Elvises of Australia and then get in a van and go around America and start again, you know, to, to create a name um, was one of the ultimate sort of commitments and things that I think people didn't really know. You know, mm. oh, you go to America, it all just happens. No, it doesn't. You've got to mm. go out and play bars and play venues of 50, 100, 200 people and build a following. Yeah. And that was sort of something that stood out. Yeah. Um, an interesting uh, recognition, both bands also that you know is worth comparing, isn't? In 1985, uh, Time Magazine, I think they might have had Bono or the band on the front uh, cover, and it was like you know this is the most important band of the decade or the most important band of our time, and uh, it was probably around the Live Aid sort of year, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know you two you know were making ways with their sort of political you know preachy lyrics and things like that, but they were really making inroads. Um, uh, I think a year later on stage there was a, an Amnesty International concert where Sting was playing uh, their last uh, well the police were playing their very last gig ever in 86 and there's a sort of symbolic scene where Sting walks off stage and he has a guitar in his hand and he hands it over to Bono like mm-hmm. okay over to you yeah. you know because the police were that sort of probably the band of their time yeah. um, and not to be outdone, though, in excess in 1986 were voted uh, or acknowledged in, in, in uh, Musician Magazine, which was a, 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 a which is and was was a still and still is a huge publication as the greatest live band on the planet. And uh, uh, it's something Arsenio Hall says, you know, at the ADA MTV Awards, like, you know, you are the greatest band on the planet. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were just from their they touring were. and what they were able to do in, in the 80s and built up to that. Yeah. But, you know, from 77 to 86 to get that moniker or that acknowledgement, mm. there was nine years of graft. Yeah. And that's pre-kick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so the ability to play live and the ability to hone their craft, I think both bands uh, from a live touring point of view and from a craft point of view, 
you know, you know, got those kudoses, you know, some nine, ten years after they started. But though, but but that's pre Joshua Tree and pre Kick mm-hmm. that the the industry was recognising both these bands at the similar time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the story to story in excess biography, there is a I, I can't remember the specifics. I'm sure uh, MM will 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 help us. Um, but I, I do believe there was a time around that period where they were touring across America and they saw each other at an airport lounge. They were crossing over and there was a bit of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, to Michael Bono and whatever there. They didn't say much. They didn't really know each other. But like, you know, one was going to a town, one had just left and vice versa. And, um, you know, they, they did cross paths a little bit in that in that period. Um, uh, so, yeah, they, 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 that, that period of ascent has many, many similarities and many, many, you know, comparables. Mm. So if I can just uh, say something about that as well, because you um, two for me was um, it was always played at the very end of um, when we used to go to the um, student nights. <laughs> but the song was just you, you couldn't do the last dance song to it. You just stood there in awe of this epic song in the name of love and all those beautiful songs yeah. so I used to go to my cousins and he used to play me the albums and um, I used to nick his album but I, somehow I managed to get it twice the album but it's just um, an iconic um, album that um, just transformed a lot of people's lives in that um, in that um, era of time was it 87 sort of ran then I think I was starting yeah. college then yeah. so yeah so um, but like politically there was lots of um, songs because we had Thatcher in government at the time and what you know a load mm. of rubbish she was um, sorry any Thatcher fan, fans out there but you know <laughs> we, it was for, for a kid it was like we need to get this woman out and whatever and there was um, Bono singing all these beautiful charming songs that really resonated with you it was um, it was great. Can, times, can I give actually. you can, can I give can I give you a funny that, Thatcherism for Australia? Mm, go on then. Our, our version of uh, sixty minutes in the early eighties interviewed uh, Margaret Thatcher, one of the guys called George Negus. Mm. Now the same George Negus who interviewed the NXS band three months after Michael passed. I've met George. <laughs> Have you? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, well, he, his his question to Margaret Thatcher in an interview was. There are those people who say, uh, Mrs. Thatcher, that blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and Margaret Thatcher looks at him and says, who are they? Who are their names? I, I want to know who they are individually. But <laughs> 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 uh, and, and she drills down. She doesn't let it slip. She no. was a, what they call the iron lady. She was a tough oh, ombre, she wasn't was she? she was tough. Very tough. Very <laughs> tough. Yeah. And she had the little husband, Dennis, didn't she? <laughs> Yes, the yes man. <laughs> well, Cl- Clive James in I think nine eighty nine ninety does his did his annual year of people of the year, and I think his his man of the year was Dennis Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> really? So yeah, Aww. if you can Google Clive James with Dennis Thatcher, it's quite funny. Oh. Anyway, we digress. Anyway, we digress. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Uh, my conclusion: of this sort of U two in excess comparison is is just. You know, it's probably where you know my sour grapes come into things a little bit. Not because of you two at all, and not because of in excess at all, but maybe just because of just the outcome of it. And the the times that the bands probably you know between eighty sort of five through to nineteen ninety one, they were they you know they had 
pound for pound, you know, uh, similar chart successes, yeah. similar recognition, similar acknowledgements. You two have definitely dominated the Grammys, but the Grammys weren't to music in the 80s what the MTV Awards, well, mm-hmm. MTV Awards were. So NXS won five or six MTV Awards and, and U2 won five or six Grammys. The Grammys were a bit nerdy in the 80s, mm. okay, and even the 70s especially, um, and the Grammys took off more in the 90s after MTV sort of went by the wayside. Often the more cutting-edge music or whatever there was recognised the MTV Music Awards, even though mm. video's not the artistic form of the song, but the songs themselves were getting that, you know, cool cutting edge, yeah. uh, hitting the right audiences, things via MTV. Mm-hmm. All that aside, you know, and, and, and look, U2 won 23 Grammys and I think In Excess have been nominated for three. So there's no comparison there. But the reality is, you know, the MTV Music Awards were uh, very significant in their recognition at the time. But leapfrogging to 1992, uh, we've had U2 come off November 91 releasing Uktong Baby that had just sort of reinvented everything they were about. Yeah. And the media... Who had really given them a hard time <laughs> for rattle and hum? Okay, the media had given them a really hard time saying that this was a real sort of uh, you know self righteous um, you know uh, hubristic you know you know uh, you know album that had come out and then walking through Elvis's Gracelands and things like that. You know they copped a caning you two for rattle and hum. Um, Somewhat unfair. Yes. Uh, so they went away essentially from really March 87 through to November 91. Like that's four and a half years between their next fully fledged studio album. Again, Rallon Hum came out in 88. It was a, a, a touring live slash partial studio, partial outtakes covers album. Effectively, U2 didn't release a fully fledged album till November 91. Okay. So that's four and a half years since the Joshua Tree. As such, when they came back, there was this demand and yes. there was this sort of thirst and there was this mm. curiosity and they'd gone to Berlin and the mm. music had changed. It was a new decade mm. and communism had sort of, you know, been shown for what it was and mm. the Berlin Wall had come down and, yeah. you know, you two had essentially come back, you know, and with, you know, the, you know, with the sense of irony and the sense of playfulness and the sense of dance and rhythm and, and taking on a completely chalk and cheese adjustment to their music. In Excess had come off kick in 87 when it was released, okay, had released X sort of around September, October 1990, uh, and had that sort of almost albums and the live album come together. They chose to release in 92 the Welcome album, um, and maybe it was a bit close to the other albums in terms of durations apart. But when they released Welcome to Wherever You Are in August 92, it was a fantastically well-received album in, in the critics' arms. In the UK, it was number one. Uh, in Australia, you know, the reviews were fantastic. But the uh, recognition in terms of album sales and then they're not touring behind it and then having some management issues and, and then having a break from touring... Um, that's the path and the time frame that there was a divergence where... Yes. The momentum stopped for in excess, and then U2 just had this new career. And U2, ironically, 18 months later, were going to do a five sort of song EP, uh, and then that turned into 10 songs, which became Zeropa. And then that consolidated the Zoo TV tour. In excess wanted to release another album, Full Moon, only a year later, and then, you know, where Michael was at with his injury and different things there. You know, I thought that was a very creative album and had some fantastic tracks. 
again, they lost momentum with that. And that's the period, unfortunately, ironically, in excess where they're probably the most creative, yet the sales went the other way and they never got the double album left. And U2 did, and U2 sort of were able to sort of get that sort of climb and they crossed over to new audiences. And I think because in excess throughout their career had a variety of audiences because a variety of styles, their idea of a massive departure wasn't seen as much as a massive departure of styles as U2's. But you put on Welcome to Wherever You Are Now and you compare it to The Swing, they're chalk and cheese. But it's just where, you know, critically and musically and ironically they were starting into some of their best music ever in excess but the fans didn't join them for the ride here in Australia in March 1992 in excess put on a charity concert called the Concert for Life it was dubbed the Concert for Strife and our journalists and uh, there was you know TV hosts and traditional supporters came the band because they only raised $700,000 not $1.1 million you know, it was it was the tall poppy time here. Yeah. And they and you know, it's where the band members decide to live overseas and live in the UK and mm-hmm. and, and, and they lost some of that momentum and they had a, a four year break between that and, and, mm-hmm. and elegantly wasted and mm-hmm. you know, to me I, I always are regretful of this period that the band didn't get the recognition of those albums in ninety two, ninety three that they deserved or they were deemed to be throwaways. Um because pound for pound, when we get into these albums, you know, they're not. They're, they've got some of their greatest songs on them. Uh, and we know how you feel about Elegantly Wasted, the one after that. Mm. So, but yeah, it's just, if we talk about a divergence and a comparison with you 2 that's what, sort of what happened. One band took that extra leap, got the double album lift, got the, the crossover, and another band failed to get that. And, um, you know, popularity shouldn't sort of equate to quality or diminish quality because I guess um, it doesn't. You know, there are plenty of bands out there have sold 50 albums in their career but yeah. are deemed to be, you know, icons. Icons, Like yeah. even um, Violent Femmes, you know, have never had a top 100, mm. al- 100 album, but, you know, the Blisterica, because it's a cult classic. Every year they sell 10, 15,000, 50,000. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> quality doesn't always equal sales. No. But my conclusion to sort of this topic is that I love both bands. Um, I love, you know everything that you two you know pretty much have done in their career same with in excess um uh and it's not a competition um uh, artistically or commercially um but it does make for interesting comparisons and that's what we wanted to do in this exercise so i hope the listeners got something out of it i did i did i got a lot out of it but in excess are way sexier we know we're always going to bring it back to the leather pants Okay, so this is my favourite part. This is Pleasure and Pain. And uh, we mixed it up a little bit last week. You had your go, didn't you, um, of uh, 1985. So this is my montage. Um, See what you think about this.
ahead, you think you're mad, too unstable, kicking in chairs and knocking down tables in a restaurant in a West End town. Call the police, there's a madman around, running down underground to a dive bar in a West End town. In a West End town, a dead end world, the East End boys and West End girls. think of that the first one was Eurythmics and Angel how pretty a song is that that's so lovely classic hey well my mum bought me that as on tape Be Be Yourself Tonight which was the album and I remember you you know tearing over the lyrics and um I was thinking, gee, that, that harmonica bit sounds a bit like Stevie Wonder and then I read in the mm. little credit liner notes that it was and yeah and uh and, and then that bit of the image she talks about by Celestial, I always thought that was a cool lyric. Well done. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, great song. And the other one, um, Pet Shop Boys and uh, West End Girls. I really like this song because I used to be a, a really um, fun, uh, I used to read his articles a lot. Oh, gosh, what was the out? Oh, my God, it's gone. He was a journo for Melody Maker, wasn't Not he? Not Melody Maker. Well, NME? No, it was another one. Shoot. I'm going to look that up right. now. Yeah, but anyway, right. it was another British um, it had all the sun lyrics in it and he was great so yeah perfect song loved that and yeah, I became a West End girl for a bit no I didn't <laughs> <laughs> alright and yeah. then the other song no. did you anything to say about that song West End girls mm. I think it still sounds good today I think the keyboard mm. and that uh, and the lyrics good uh, I still think it's probably their best song weirdly enough mm. um, I, I loved Opportunities that came out after this I think it might have been a single you got the brains I got the brawn or whatever it is or vice versa <laughs> you know what? one of my regrets of is yeah one of my regrets is not actually going to see them because they were quite a cabaret to watch weren't they I, I hear on the, as a yeah. live set anyway now the, yeah, ne- yeah. the next song I know you're going to not, not like it it was Fergal Sharky A Good Heart but but let me tell you why I put it in there is because it was in my head all week. That song, I don't know, I must have heard it somewhere and it was playing in my head. And then when I looked at the song list of what I could choose from of from the charts, there it was sitting there. So I just had to have it. And it is, it's, it's, I think the lyrics are lovely. A good heart is hard to find, so please be gentle with my heart, this heart of mine. I think it's beautiful. Stop Blech. looking at me like that. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's probably why you're Didn't single. Didn't like it. Stinker. I like the you little bit better, but anyway. 
All right, and then yeah. the last one. Whoa, Ian Asprey. Oh my God, I wanted. To, I just wanted to just look at him for the rest of my life for a bit there. I think, um, yeah, I overplayed that. I, I taped it, the uh, video of him playing, and yeah, it actually got a bit scratched. It actually went a bit crinkly because I overwatched and played the video of um, She Sells Sanctuary. Another classic. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's still my favourite song of theirs. And uh, Michael and Ian were quite good friends, Ian Asprey, uh, and had some fun throwing some televisions out of hotel rooms one time, I believe. <laughs> Might have even been in the, the, the bio, but, uh, yeah, Michael and Ian, they, they were uh, two peas in a pond. Didn't they, they Didn't they say they did it and then they pond. had to go... They, pod. <laughs> pod beam. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, they apologised, didn't they, like good boys the next day. <laughs> and paid yes, for I it. Yes, I think so. I think so, but uh, yeah, they okay. great choice. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about your stinkers. Yeah, they're uh, rotten. But anyway. That, can you smell them from here? They're really disgusting. You ready? <laughs> aren't they my tutu oh my god embarrassing horrible crappy yucky song um i can't say any more than that do you like it i bet you do <laughs> i haven't heard it so i'm i'm on uh, oh, really? uh, an island thankfully uh my ears have been spared that ordeal but uh what you, what you put on was um more than enough Blech. to me yes Blech. it was yeah and then lionel richie I know there's a lot of Lionel Richie songs out there that are really good, but this one, I used to run a mile when this came on in the nightclubs because this meant you were going to get jumped upon by somebody and they wanted to take you home for that night and you're like, no, run, grab your coat song. Um, Look, Lionel, I think he's going to be a regular mainstay in our uh, uh, less than desirables. but uh, hey, what do you used to say? Outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out the door. Episode 15 in the can nearly, B. Uh, we're progressing. 15. And patron programs and birthdays and wow, it's all good. And there you are, still lying in bed. <laughs> well, 
I'm gonna, you know me and my grammar Nazism. I'm going to turn around and say Patreon. Oh, you no, have to no, see no, it no. with a little bit of French suave. Patreon. Okay. Not patron. Patron. <laughs> patron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently it's Patreon. But, Patreon. Uh, but speaking of uh, speaking of, uh, of pa- Patreon, um, again, we reiterate uh, thanks for those uh, who have uh, bequeathed a certain amount per month already for this podcast to uh, take the next step and to involve you more. Uh, and uh, I guess from all the prompts that being mentioned earlier, you can go on to you know Facebook page and slot in an amount that you feel is appropriate to you if you think this is something that adds value to your life and helps us get this band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is our ultimate mission ultimate statement, mission. isn't it? Yes. Yes, and yeah. thank you, Jim, for all the posts that you're posting as well. To oh, get to, absolutely, yeah, fantastic posts that come in Jim's, from here. Jim's uh, been, you know, really contributing some great materials. So I advise everybody out there just to look mm. and read it because stuff I'm learning on there. Going, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I haven't seen that before. So. Yeah. Um, the more the merrier. Um, uh, in terms of the next couple of episodes coming up, we're probably due be for our next Zoom call. And I thought, well, mm. what we could do is uh, on our next Zoom call, the first eight uh, Patreon uh, contributors, be, be it the first two of each category, will be going on to the Zoom call. So uh, I think we can in the next seven days get it up and running and yep. have those people in. So we've already probably got a couple of people we've mentioned who will be uh, invited onto that. Uh, and also in the next couple of weeks, we will be due for a Listen Like Thieves album <gasps> deep dive probably in the next at couple last, of weeks. At last, at yeah. last. Yes. Yeah, so that's coming up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought in terms of today's show, you know, we went out last week with the uh, uh, Slide Away uh, song, which was really befitting for uh, the uh, uh, tone of the episode. Um, for this week's uh, episode song to go out, we can put another sort of tribute song that uh, sort of unites In Excess and You 2 together. And uh, this actually happened about uh, three or four years ago, I think, maybe a year longer or so, uh, on the David Letterman show when uh, U2, uh, be it Bono and the Edge were on there and they were basically being interviewed on the couch and then they started talking a little bit about uh, a song they wrote for uh, a friend of theirs uh, and mentioned Michael and then suddenly went into a bit of an impromptu uh, acoustic version of Stuck in a Moment uh, You Can't Get Out Of and um, I guess we're going to play the full uh, bit on the uh, podcast, mm-hmm. you know, the lead up to the song and then the song itself. And again, we just, again, think this is a great song to uh, unite all fans of both bands yep. together and uh, also remind everybody, uh, and even those in the U2 world who may not know, just what a, a, a fan and friend uh, Michael was to Bono and, and vice versa. So uh, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye, everyone. So the, uh, the, the songwriting, uh, give us some insight there. How does that work? What do you do and how does it happen? You just wake up and it's finished. <laughs> really? It comes in dreams. Yeah. I think uh, there's, no, there's no one way that songs come, but like... Um, well, let's give you an example, maybe. If I can You're find kidding a guitar. me. An example? Let's do it. Yes, I would love that. Oh, and there's a guitar here. <laughs> how funny. Uh, So, uh, so we we often start with a piece of music. In in the case of this song, "Stuck in a Moment," it was a piece of music I was working on on piano. But um, I I really like how it sounds on guitar. So I was playing it to Bono, and it's it was a, a sort of song with a gospel quality. 
and but we wanted to write a kind of a an, a, a love song, but not not a sort of straight love song. And Bono got inspired lyrically. Yeah, there was also Larry and Adam heard it, and Larry thought it sounded sissy. Um, I don't know. So I don't know what that means. It's 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 Irish for in too in touch with your feminine self, and um, and 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 so we actually he was kind of right because it's a very high chorus and we wanted it a bit more biting, and uh, we had. Uh, we, we still miss, but we were really missing at the time, a very, very good friend of ours, uh, a guy called Michael Hutchins, who sang for In Excess. And a uh, beautiful man. Uh, and and it's, he, he, he died in a horrible way. And, and I got, you know, sometimes it, with grief, I think it can affect you in a different way. And I wrote this song, it was kind of like a angry song in a way. It's a sort of, it's like an argument between two friends. And that's what contrasts the emotion of this beautiful chorus which uh, Edge had got coming from the gospel tradition. Uh, if you want to, we can do a little bit of it if you like. Well, I don't Of anything in this world There's nothing you can throw at me That I haven't already heard I'm just trying to find A decent melody A song that I can sing In my own company You are such a fool Jumping for me was a fall, it's a long way down to 
nothing at all The water is warm till you discover how deep It's a long way down to nothing at all Oh, oh yeah, yeah You've got to get yourself together You got stuck in a moment And you can't get out of it Just a moment 